opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California. Streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is really about life, which is, we always say that the only thing worth fighting for is love, and love and life are really one. So we have a wonderful guest. I've been reading this book I just got. It's called The Infinite View. A Guidebook for Life on Earth by Ellen Tad. And Ellen is coming to us from beautiful Boston. And let me tell you a little bit about her background. She's an internationally known clairvoyant counselor who has been teaching and counseling for more than 40 years. And she is widely respected for the integrity of her work, the accuracy of her perceptions and guidance. This is pretty exciting. And the clarity and usefulness of her teaching. Her work has been supported by the Edgar Casey Foundation, which if anybody knows about Edgar Casey, I've been to the Edgar Casey Institute in Virginia Beach. Fascinating, fascinating man who was very clairvoyant. Also, the Marion Institute, uh, Deepak Chopra, Child Spirit Institute, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and the Boston Center for Adult Education. And her work has been covered in Newsweek. She has lectured across the country at colleges, universities, and actually her first book was called Death and Letting Go, and that appeared on the Boston Globe's bestseller list. You can find out more about her at our website at conflicthealing.com, where you'll see her picture of her adorable face, her JPEG of her brand new book, The Infinite View, and we link to her website, and you'll find out more about her, but you can go to Ellen Tad, that's Ellen, and then T-A-D-D dot com. So we're thrilled to have you join us, Ellen. Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you. Yeah. You're a delight. <laughs> well, you You're too. a delight. <laughs> well, this is fun. We're on, I'm on the West Coast. You're on the East Coast. So lots of miles in between, but we're going to connect, right, at the deep level? Yes. So tell us about what inspired you to write this beautiful book. Well, the process of getting to writing this book has been a long one. Um, uh, my work began, actually, when I was 19, and my mother came back and talked to me after she died. Mm. And I was searching. I was having a lot of trouble. I was a freshman in college, and I was trying to figure out who I was and what life was about. And my mother had a difficult case of MS and mm. a difficult life. And um, she came back and talked to me two years after she passed. 
and it was my watershed event. I was raised by my father, who was a physicist and grew up in a scientifically oriented household. Mm. And I was always wanting to know why. Why is it that one person is sick and one person is well and one person is rich and one person is poor? And it was really um, difficult for me to embrace the basic approach of living in the culture without deeper answers. And I feel that my mother heard my longing, and um, she came back and talked to me, and she said, do not mourn for me. I chose what I endured to learn compassion for those who suffer. Mm. And she said, no matter how things appear, if you look deeply, you'll see there are reasons and there's justice. And after that, I started to see people's past lives, including my own, and the the belief and the experience of reincarnation really helped me to put life in a broader context. And I started out very skeptical. Again, I was raised in a scientifically oriented household, but I started having my own experiences, and they were fast and furious. And I always say my mother gave me birth and my mother gave me rebirth. (laughs) And so the infinite view is really the spiritual perspective. It's um, a broader view of who we are and what life is about. Hmm. So how old were you when your mom passed? I was 17 and then 19 when she came back to talk with me. Yeah. So let me ask you, Ellen, you know, it sounds like you had some clairvoyant experiences when you were younger, too. How was that? And tell us about those. Well, I did. Um, I saw faces in the dark. I'd see light around people. Uh, I had out-of-body experiences where I would start to spin when I was going to sleep, and then I would have my consciousness on the ceiling, and I'd see my body asleep on the bed. And I um, said to my father, you know, I can see molecules. And he took me to an electron electron microscope to show me what molecules look like, and I knew I wasn't seeing molecules. So I started to feel afraid Mm -hmm. and had no one to really talk to about the kinds of experiences I was having. So I started to push them away and managed to do that until the experience with my mother and then all of those sensitivities started to return. Mm, Wow. You know, when I was young, I had some uh, experiences as well, and I was actually very scared by it because they were... Um, I had one experience where I was really young, I don't know, maybe nine or 10, something like that. And um, my parents were supposed to go out with their friends to, uh, to see a movie. And I just had a total temper tantrum. And I said, No, you can't go. And I had a babysitter. I don't know where my sister was. I had an older sister. And I just freaked out and they never saw me like that and I don't know why I was doing that at the time and then that night they didn't go because I was they thought well maybe she's getting sick or something because I acted so out of the ordinary and then their friends were killed in a car accident that night and they were supposed to be with them so I I after that I I just begged God to like take that away from me because I didn't even want that it was so scary 
you know, to have yeah, that. Yeah, you saved your parents' lives. I did, you know, by telling <laughs> them. But um, but at the time when you're nine years old, you know, I mean, that's why I kind of asked you how you felt because I was so little that it was really terrifying for me. So I really pushed that away as well. And um, Yes, and I understand. I, yeah. Well, I think the real challenge is that when you don't have someone to explain to you your sensitivity and what's happening, it, it, it is, it is uh, difficult to be comfortable with it. Right. So when did you start getting comfortable with that? Well, um, pretty quickly after the experiences with my mother, I learned that I needed to start to meditate. Because I was having visions and feelings and experiences with the spiritual world, and I didn't understand them, and I didn't know how to sort them out. And so meditation really helped me to, to get comfortable. Um, I started to have beings from the etheric world actually appear to me mm-hmm. and communicate with me and teach me. They, they really gave me my education. I dropped out of college because the experiences that I was having felt so much more important than my college education, which was really um, a strange thing to do because my father was a professor and I grew up in an academic environment, but I was really trained. I was trained how to be a sensitive in an insensitive world. I was given a philosophy of life and I was given tools and I worked to integrate that knowledge into my own life and then eventually started to teach others what I had learned. Mm. So tell us a little bit about your meditation. I, I know you said that you have a, your meditation is a little bit different from other types. Like I remember when I was 19 and in college, I learned transcendental meditation, and that's what I do every day. Um, although I've been really reading a lot of, uh, from Mark Waldman, who says you don't even need to do 20 minutes a day. You can do other things for just you know a, a minute every hour, and it's just as powerful. But um, but I still like to get up at five and do my little meditation. So h- how is Great. yours different? Great. Yeah. Well, um, I think of my meditation as interactive. Um, it's not it's not a relaxation exercise. Mm. Uh, when I teach meditation, I I explain it as an X, and the bottom part of the X is everyday thought. The point in the center is stillness. And the upper part of the X is revelation and connection with the spirit within and the spirit without. So the way you get to the point in the center, the stillness, the first step I teach is inspiration. Mm. The crown chakra at the top of the head in the chakra system is the bridge from the material to the spiritual dimension. And it's through the crown chakra that we access direct connection spiritually. It's it's the golden halo in religious pictures. Mm. And what opens the center is devotion, trust, and inspiration. I find inspiration is the easiest access for the most people. So I suggest before you meditate, you focus on something that inspires you. It can mm. be a concept or a person or a memory. You want to feel the open, airy feeling at the top of your head. And I love a quote by Emily Dickinson where she said she knows a poem by two things. One, when she feels chills all over her body and can't get warm sitting next to a fire. And two, when she feels the top of her head come off. <laughs> 
And that yeah. is an open crown chakra. You mm. feel literally that the air is not distinct. You, the top of your head feels like it's come off, and mm. inspiration gives you that feeling. Then the door to spirit is open. The second step is affirmation, mm. a positive affirmative statement, so that it is a practice of saying one thought before you practice saying no thought. I guess you can think of that also as a mantra. Mm. I often tell people to say, I am spirit, infinite spirit, as a way to remember and also to create a positivity. Mm. Then the next step is to start to let the affirmation go. And to pause, say, I am spirit, infinite spirit, and then pause and hold your mind still. And then go back to the affirmation, mm-hmm. I am spirit, infinite spirit, and then hold your mind still. Gradually, you want the pause to become longer and longer so that you can hold your mind still longer and longer without interruption. Once you can achieve that midpoint of a still mind, then you can ask a question, go into meditation, and listen very deeply. Mm. Then the ability to access knowledge to receive, whether it's in the form of thought or the thought, the form of uh, vision, there becomes a direct dialogue with the spiritual realm. Mm. So you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily speaking with someone that you had um, been with in the, you know, in in real life. It might be what, like a spirit guide or someone, or you know, who is it, or is it God, or is it what? Is, what is it that you're communicating with when you get to that that pause between the the uh, the mantra or whatever it is that you're saying. Well, I think it can it can be a number of things. It can be the spirit within, which is our individual spark of the God force. Right. It can be a guide or a being who's helping us or working with us, or it can be what I call the spiritual oneness. Mm. Some people may call the spiritual oneness God, but I tend to think of it as a God force that is conscious and communicative and exists in every aspect of life. And when we um, listen deeply, we're able to access communication with this force of life. So what about people who might be listening that that are skeptical about your abilities? Um, what do you say to them? Well, I, I think being skeptical and open is a healthy thing because I really think unless, unless we have our own direct experiences, then we don't know. I think it's just important to be opened. I have some techniques and tools uh, in my book, and I suggest people try them and and decide for themselves. You know, I um, have been applying what I've learned from my guide, and I often think of my own life as an experiment, and my classes as laboratory conditions. And I teach what I've learned from my guides, and I've seen what happens over the last 40 years. And it's been a kind of um, proving process for myself, because I don't believe in trusting without discernment. I think it's very important to be discerning. And, and so I would suggest that if someone is interested in understanding themselves and life more deeply, that meditation is as fundamental as reading and accessing the third eye chakra, which is the center of 
clear and spiritual perception is a powerful way to access wisdom. Yes, and that that third eye is right between your eyebrows, a little bit above it, right? So that my audience that didn't know where it is, <laughs> just to it, make sure that they actually, know. Yeah. I actually say, no, it's not between the brows. It's right back in the middle of the forehead. Okay, a little it's, higher it's, then, huh? It's a, it's a little higher, so right in the middle between the um, brows and the hairline. Mm-hmm. So it's right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in our culture, we have the third eye on the back of our dollar bill. Right. And athletes talk about the zone. Mm-hmm. And the zone is a place of very deep focus where when an athlete is performing their best, they are in this place of deep, deep focus. And I've heard athletes say that when they're in that state, they're no longer attached to whether they win or lose. It's it's this place of feeling oneness. Mm, right. And from that place of feeling oneness, we access a level of clarity that goes beyond our preconceived notions and our opinion. And I've worked with large numbers of people to help them activate their third eye. And really, focus and concentration is the only way. But when people develop deep focus, then they become wise and make good decisions. This is the center of good decision-making. I found that the intellect and wisdom are very different. There are a lot of educated people who aren't wise and a lot of wise people who aren't educated. Right, right. And, and so wisdom yeah. is the is the place we want to go to for decision making. Right. And I I've been in that zone at different times and I think it's when we release the ego and we're just into that higher self and we're just like moving within our intuition you know that that's what it feels like to me when I'm when I'm doing something that I am in that zone that's what it feels like it's uh, yeah it's it's a beautiful place to be we are speaking I just wanted to say the name of your book for a minute Ellen let me just tell everybody if they're just tuning in that we are speaking with Ellen Tad who is the author of this beautiful new book, The Infinite View, A Guidebook for Life on Earth. So can you, um, Ellen, just so I think it would be fun if you can do a couple exercises with me and maybe my my audience can do it while they're in their car or home or wherever, or wherever they are? Yes. So there's a technique that my friend named the TAD technique, which is, a technique I um, developed, and what it entails is the comparison of perception from the gut with perception from the third eye, mm. because as my guidance has taught me, perception informs feeling. How we feel can come from many places, so really how we perceive informs that feeling. So what I'd like to do is walk you through the TAD technique okay, and have you compare perception from the gut and the third eye, and if I'm going to have you do this with your eyes closed, if I got someone's my eyes closed. listening and <laughs> driving, then of course they should do it with their eyes open. Okay, either that or pull so, over. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, so close your eyes and focus your attention in the gut. It's the okay. solar plexus, it's right? Where you feel butterflies when you're nervous. Yep. And in the solar plexus. I'd like you to imagine yourself late for an important appointment, an appointment that is important to you. Mm-hmm. And in the solar plexus, what do you feel and what do you do? And um, talk about it. Yeah, I feel agitated. 
when um, I feel like it's like crunching a little bit and mm-hmm. um, it's it's uncomfortable and it is definitely um, active and it doesn't feel okay. relaxed. It, it does. It, yeah. It feels okay. upset down there. Yeah. Okay. Now, keeping your eyes closed, I'd like you to tap the point for a moment in the middle of your forehead, okay. right in the middle of the forehead. Got it. Just so you know where to aim, okay? Okay. That's good. Okay. So now bring your focus and your attention to that point. Bring all your focus up. Okay. Envision a round window. Okay. And look out of that point with your mind. And as you look out of that point, mm-hmm. I'd like you to imagine the same scenario. You're late for an important appointment. But this time, you're focused out of your forehead. Hold your focus. Don't let it drop. And as you hold your focus, what's the difference in your experience? And what do you do? Hmm. So I'm looking out of that window out to, like, what, the the scenery, like trees and ocean or what am I? No, no, no. You're just focusing out of that point, imagining yourself late for an important appointment. Okay. So you're looking out of your forehead, and that very same situation that you looked at from the solar plexus, you're now going to look at from the third eye. So you're looking at the same situation, but from a different vantage point. Wow, this is, it's weird because what's happening is my solar plexus is still annoying me. And I'm trying to refocus only on the third eye. So that's that's interesting. Why is that happening? Because I guess I'm just so used to feeling it in my solar plexus rather than my third eye, right? Okay, so what you're in is what I call the rubber band effect, where you're partly in the solar plexus and uh, partly in the third eye. Okay. And so you're not getting the full relief. Okay. So you have to bring all your focus up. Okay. Sometimes it can help to imagine yourself as a lighthouse. And in the middle of your forehead is this beam of light, and you're looking out and you're imagining being late for an important appointment as you're looking out of this point. Okay. I'm right now my stomach the butterflies have subsided and I'm aware that I see like when you said that light that helped me, I see like this golden illumination that I'm looking through or with. And how do you feel about being late and what do you do? I think I just feel more um, like it is what it is, and I'm okay. Yeah. So there's more acceptance? Yes, more accepting. And and you get there when you can. Right. It isn't meant to be whatever is. I'm just, it is. (laughs) So, So the difference is in the solar plexus, we react. We react in anxiety or or anger or fear if things are not as we want them to be. Right. And in the third eye, there is a broader perspective that allows us to accept what is mm-hmm. and then to say, given what is, what am I going to do? Right. Think of the solar plexus as a pond. And when we're in reaction, then the emotional disturbance is like, um, you know, the water on the pond being all turbulent. Mm. And then you can't see to the bottom. So when the solar plexus is turbulent, we lose our clarity and therefore our ability to make wise 
choices and to see a situation clearly get disturbed. Right. And it's interesting that the third eye is right up by those frontal lobes, you know, which is our newer brain too, you know, which makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense to me that we're we're getting more um, clarity or more, um, you know, rational rather than letting our stomach, our, our solar plexus lead the way. Yeah. And yet it's very different than the intellect. Think of the intellect as a computer. Mm-hmm. It's fabulous to have a fast and smart computer, but do you want to ask your computer who you should marry? <laughs> The computer gives us data, but it doesn't have the wisdom of putting our life circumstance into context. So what the third eye gives us is a oneness perspective. It is the center that helps us to see interconnection Mm. and good decision making is linked to interconnection. And as my guides define wisdom, it is the ability to see the far reaching impact. So I think of the um, the third eye as inspiration, too. Isn't that where we get inspiration? Yeah. No, inspiration is actually the crown chakra. Oh, that's right, the crown so chakra. So the inspiration is the crown, and the third eye is focus and discernment. Okay. And they go well together, and they support each other, but they're actually quite different. So how can we, what are you suggesting, like when we're in the middle of a busy day at work, are you, are you suggesting that we stop and do that? What are you suggesting? Well, first of all, it's good to be self-observing. Where are we focused throughout the day? Are you focused in the gut? Are you focused in the third eye? Mm. Is your analytical mind making your decisions? And I have been taught that the analytical mind should be used as a tool and the perception of the third eye should inform the emotions of the solar plexus. So let's say you're at work and you're anxious or you're pressured or you're overwhelmed. You can quite literally focus on the corner of a picture frame or the corner of a door jam. Focus and concentration will activate the third eye, you'll calm down. Mm. My guides say it's impossible to be anxious and focused at the same time. Beautiful. You'll calm down and you'll be able to prioritize, which will take away the feeling of overwhelm. All feelings of overwhelm come from the solar plexus Mm. and all addiction comes from the solar plexus and emotional reaction. We're a solar plexus dominant culture, and this is really a problem. It makes for um, lots of emotional reactions and not clear decision-making. Well, that's a perfect way to end. Believe it or not, we just went the whole half hour here. <laughs> so I wanted that to... That was fast. I know, and that was beautiful. Thank you for leading that. that you gave me a great... A wonderful exercise in my audience, too. So I just want to tell them that they can find out more about all these great ideas in the beautiful book, The Infinite View, A Guidebook for Life on Earth. And Ellen, just give your website and it's time to go. It's ellentad.com, T-A-D-D. Okay, well, we will stay in touch. And uh, thank you so much. And I can't wait to see your next book. Sounds wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.